Welcome to episode 181 of the Canadian Pepper Podcast, recorded uh, October 23rd, 2022. My name is Ian. I'm a hobby farmer and a wannabe hunter on Vancouver Island, or at least I'm normally on Vancouver Island. Uh, Eric is uh, unavailable. He said something about hunting the most dangerous game. <laughs> I'm Darius. I'm a local mag leader and an avid prepper in southern Alberta. And I'm Jeff. I am based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, general overall handyman, and weather nerd. I'm Pierre. I'm a tactical beard owner and a base t-shirt merchant and a government hater. And if you want to keep the uh, show on the, sorry, if you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, uh, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch. Both available at uh, prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes, like us on Facebook, and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we got some uh, predatory content for you in this episode. Oof. Anyway, we're going to start off with some recent news and update our personal preps, then we'll get into the main topic, which is hunting for 2022. Uh, news time. So I uh, didn't expect to be on here tonight until recently here, so I didn't have much in the way of news to gather up, but uh, I guess I'll post this one without comment here. But uh, if you want to hear more about it, we can probably talk about it tomorrow on Canadian Patriot Podcast. But the uh, handgun transfer ban went through this week. Uh, the federal government decided to enact the much... Uh, promised handgun sales and transfer freeze. So there's an article from the CBC there that says basically what you have is what you're going to have for the rest of your life and uh, no more, no less. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And the criminals are going to listen to that and they're going to obey that. Yeah. Yeah. Take a, right. At least we'll get a few smugglers out of, out of the jobs. Right. Maybe they'll just, maybe they'll just start it. Uh, can they, can they qualify for EI? Since we took their income away, I'm sure they can. <laughs> yeah, probably. Actually, probably they'd no, have a no, better no, chance. No, 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 Trudeau, he probably would pay them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got a couple of uh, articles here. Um, first one, uh, the uh, as everybody knows or should know at least, hopefully the there's been quite the the drought throughout a lot of areas, uh, Canada included. BC, Alberta, uh, down into the states, a lot of it in the central states this time. Uh, the Mississippi River is presently at historic lows. Um, barges are running at max 60% of capacity. Uh, some areas, they're down to 40%, uh, just to stop them from running ashore, catching on sandbars and stuff. So, of course, that's more of a disruption to your supply chain and they're finding uh, shipwrecks that they didn't knew, know were there. They're finding human remains. Um, nothing different than what was going on over in Lake Mead. Um, rain's coming. I'll talk about that on my weather blurb, but uh, it's going to take a lot to uh, recoup what they've lost. And the second article I have is, um, it's not for, it doesn't affect us except for just what we keep saying about, you know, having especially money um, on hand. Uh, 
the underwater cable that connects uh, Scotland to the Shetland Islands was damaged. Uh, and that cut off their phone, their internet. Um, so there were, so of course, you couldn't buy anything with a debit card. Uh, ATM machines wouldn't work. Uh, most phones wouldn't work. Some uh, mobile phones would, would work for some reason. Uh, there might have been a, a couple of cables that, part of the cables that weren't damaged, but for the most part, um, yeah, they had, you couldn't buy anything unless you had cash. So just again, another idea to keep money handy. Literally the 10 U.S. Thread Holding Society together. It's just one cable and that's it, eh? Yep. Pretty much. And, and they're, they're on an island. So, I mean, if they severed the whole cable and, you know, outside of a ham radio or some other way of being able to get a hold of somebody on the mainland, you're, you're foobard. Yeah. Yeah. And on a similar note, um, so we all know a little while ago about the Nord Stream pipelines that had the underwater explosions and nobody knows why exactly that happened. Um, Danish police have released a statement now saying that um, they've done underwater drone footage from a private company and there shows multiple spots where there's blast damage on the pipelines as well as one of them has a 50-meter section that's just completely gone. So they said that they have some working theories, but they're not going to be stating anything uh, for the time being. That's because geopolitics comes into play. Yeah. I mean, the cable might have had some information leading to the arrest of Hillary Clinton or something, and maybe it you know, had an unfortunate accent or something. Who knows? Oh, oh the cable committed suicide. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> With a shotgun blast to the chest hanging from a tree or something. Yeah, it's yeah. uh it's funny how that works. But yeah, it's um interesting little bit on flight aware. You can actually watch a um unspecified country's military airplane go uh zorching out towards where the cable explosion was, drop a torpedo and come back. So just saying. Yeah. Anyway. So I found a quick article. Um because I wasn't sure if I was going to be on tonight or not, but um, there's a giant recall on dry shampoo, which I don't really use dry shampoo. We don't, um, but it might not be a bad thing to have in your preps. So just uh, a bunch of bottles in the last, what is it, two years, it says, uh, 2020 to 2022, 15 different products all being recalled. Um, so if you've got those in your preps, take a look and see. Uh, I don't really understand how dry shampoo works, but yeah, some people I, might have it in their preps because like you don't need water, right? You can kind of get clean. So I would understand why you would have some in your preps, especially with like, you know, I've got a long ass beard and long ass hair. So, but I, I don't have any, but I'm thinking people might have them in their preps. So something to look out for. Hopefully the manufacturer didn't mix up and put like meat in the dry shampoo and have them spray it everywhere and have it fall out or something. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd say I, I've actually seen it used. I think both my kids and my wife have had a, a bottle or two hanging around occasionally for whatever reason. Yeah. Just it's a quick touch up for people that, you know, if they've been a day or two and, uh, but I don't know how it works. Yeah. They don't want to wet their hair and then go out cause it's cold out or whatever. It's, I, I don't, I don't know. It makes no sense to me. I was going to say, I've never even heard of it. So <laughs> I mean, dry shampoo, I've never even heard of it. So it's, It smells like 80s hairspray. It's, um, well, anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, oh, well, actually, I guess. Oh, sorry. Quit. No, I was just reading. I was like, yeah, over cancer risk. Oh, so that's what it says. So I, yeah, actually, right at the beginning of the article, I should have read the the opening line, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. You got I don't know. Use water. Use regular stuff. Yeah, I guess uh, don't rely on chemicals is the takeaway from that one. So <laughs> anyway, uh, what we've we done lately for preps? Uh, I did very little. I, uh, as I said before the uh, the show, I uh, had a little mishap and tweaked my back, so I've kind of not been doing much the last few days. I just did a uh, a bit of fuel rotation before that happened, and outside of that, I've kind of been taking things easy. Awesome. Uh, I probably beat you as far as not doing much for preps. I probably did less than you. Um, I did do. I did manage to do some uh, unspecified target shooting at a redacted location in Ontario uh, yesterday. That was pretty fun, uh, but that was more uh, just for for enjoyment's sake than anything else. But uh, absolutely nothing else for preps. Unfortunately, I am uh, away from home and uh, in the middle of a hazing ritual for work. So, unfortunately, I cannot do much in the way of preps. That's a valid point. Well, I didn't do a huge amount. Um, I went over to help out a mag member winterize um, their house, um, finished up taking any outdoor planters and stuff like that into the garage, shut off the water faucet leading outside, that kind of thing. And then I emptied out and completely repacked my hunting bag, getting it ready for a uh, season to start. Nice. Um, I ended up doing some fuel rotation as well. potentially found a fantastic place to go hunting, new hunting ground. Uh, ended up having to go to a job site to do some work on a on a, a service call today, and the guy was out hunting in the morning, so we started chit chatting or whatever. So, might have a line on four thousand acres of uh, property that he's like, "Well, I might get access to it." I was like, "Man, that's awesome!" He's like, "Well, I've got your phone number and everything, so we'll find out the next little bit." So, fingers crossed, it's nice and close to home. In, uh, in a rifle area, not shotgun like we are now, which is nice. I prefer hunting with a rifle than shotgun for big game. So we'll find out hopefully by the end of the month. He's going to go have a face-to-face -face chat with them. And uh, also did some more stuff to the camper to get it ready for winter storage. So clean everything, start putting, you know, bounce sheets, mothballs, and all that stuff. So that keep the rodents out. That's awesome. Uh, I got a com uh, comment from Denny here that says, uh, here's one for you all. Did you hear about the lab in Boston that's been doing work with COVID? They ended up making it more 80% more lethal and out of 100 rats, 80 died from it. Um, actually, it's kind of funny. I was reading that article, Denny, and uh, they actually got my attention when they said humanized rats. <laughs> it's like, what kind of weird experiment they've been doing to make rats more human. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like they were, like they say, there was no gain of function research done. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Fauci was uh, soaring up and down on a stack of Bibles about that, and then they are here they are telling you about gain-of-function research. So, yeah, make that of what you will, but it seems to me they're amping up whatever they can find. Well, how else are they going to shut everything down in the fall? <laughs> yeah, they got to have some sort of new variant, right? So yeah. this one will be, what do you call it, rat pox? Or uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, the Boston variant? I don't know. So. Well, well there's going to suddenly be a leak. Yeah, there'll be. A, well, and the funny thing is, these guys, if you actually look at the article, there's these guys up in level four bio suits, and they're all like got pressurized air and positive pressure rooms and everything else. And, and they're like, yeah, we got to be extra careful. And I'm like, but if I never got out, they'd just tell you to wear a mask and tell you it's just as good. So, I mean, like, 
system. Yeah, but, but on, only like six months later, they tell you, okay, yeah, a mask is useful. Yeah. Right. From what I understand, I'm not an expert on it, obviously, but what they're doing is they're trying to detect which new strains may mutate before it happens naturally, and then they can take that and, you know, try to determine preventative measures before it actually happens. That's because uh, biological weapons research is illegal, and they would exactly. <laughs> they wouldn't want to admit to that in the press. <laughs> Anyway, oh, yeah, it's good. funny they they're already complaining in my well in in Ontario about um, how how the COVID cases are jumping, not hospitalization. They're just saying, which I I agree with Pierre. I think they're 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 throwing the warning shots out there. They're like, oh yeah, COVID cases are higher than they've been since uh, since March. Yeah, they're already one. throwing the warning shot out for the institution of the masks and maybe more lockdown. Who knows? But yeah, yeah again, but like be, statistics, right? Like if you, had, if you have one case last month and two cases this month, oh my God, you've had 100% increase in cases. But is it really an issue? But are we also still using the tests that can't tell the difference between the flu, the cold, and COVID? Yeah. That's, that's oh, it. probably, yeah. Yeah. It's like oh. they haven't come up with anything better, so... Anyway, side, side back. I guess we're on a hamster moment. Yeah, that, a moment. that's more for tomorrow night's show, but yeah. 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 Sorry. Anyway, no, moving on. Yeah, moving on to the main topic. Um, okay, so why are we talking about this tonight? Well, uh, some people don't know how to get into hunting. So, you know, I always find myself when it comes to hunting, I like to uh, to try and track down people who have no family connections, that are deep in debt, won't be missed in society, and, and they try and offer them a large section of money in order to get involved. And this one time on the squid game. Oh, sorry. Are we talking about hunting animals tonight, right? Well, yeah. Depends. Oh, okay. Let me get you some notes out here. Just, just yeah. give me one second. <laughs> 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 Anyways, yes, hunting, hunting for sport and food production. So uh, take it away, guys. Let's talk about it. Sounds good. So I just, I've got nothing to add except to throw out one simple thing: wear your hunter orange so you don't become the hunted. Unless, unless you don't yeah. have to, in which case we don't. Yeah, no, because I mean, if if you're hunting bird, right? So if you're hunting geese, uh, duck, and turkey, you don't wear orange because those birds can see color. So you actually have to try and blend in as much with your environment as possible. But everything else, even if you don't have to, um, they say deer, bear, you know, all those are kind of colorblind, so everything's gray to them. Um, and also, if you shoot at something that moves and it yells out "ow," don't do a follow-up <laughs> shot. <laughs> or if you run into a furry that's running around with antlers on and everything else, yeah, just be sure you're targeting what's behind it, type of thing. Yeah. Don't yeah. give away Alan's secrets. Yeah. Shh. Oh, speaking of which, like I'm, I'm so glad I stayed in character here because you notice that Alan's not here tonight. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I am in Ontario. Or is he? Or is or he? Is he? <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Arius, carry on. All good. So in most places, um, the main general hunting rifle season, that is, I'm not talking specifically about like all the different types of seasons, starts November 1st in most of North America. So I figured it was a good time for us to kind of go over and determine how hunting can fit into our, you know, yearly preps. 
That's fair. Uh, it's interesting. Like, so is that the case in Ontario as well? Is it November 1st for you guys? I don't remember. I know we get two weeks of rifle season and it is in November. I just don't know if it's the first or second in Ontario. Uh, I'm probably not going big game hunting this year, so I didn't really pay attention to those dates. I'll probably do, yeah. be doing a lot more small game just because the prep work involved for where we hunt is just not feasible this year for us. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, in the mic, in the microcosm where we are, it's like yeah, it's uh, we we start September tenth and we finish November, well December tenth technically, but uh, by the end of November it's pretty much a done deal. So yeah, it's kind of funny how it, it's definitely different in places, but yeah, the vast majority of Canada I think is November first, isn't it? Yeah, and you can Ontario, you can go all the way to New Year's Eve, the thirty first of December, with bow because hmm. the bow season is very long in Ontario. Cool. Yeah, I'm lucky in Alberta because depending on which uh, management unit I go into, I have anywhere from beginning of September all the way to the end of December. For, for bow or? Um, for bow and in some cases rifle. Oh, wow. Yeah, we only get two weeks in most of Ontario rifle. And then I think there's a week break and then we get uh, one week of black powder. And then everything else is strictly bow. I think I need to make a trip to Etsy. Um, Dave tells us so he has an antler hat for his mother-in-law. <laughs> uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyway, carry on, Darius. Yeah. So, um, besides the you know running and gunning for small game, um, the main types of hunting that a lot of people do during the November-December seasons or the late season. They'll either do spot and stock, tree stand, or blind hunting are kind of the three big ones for uh, most types of gear. Yeah, so uh, do you guys, do you spot out like tree stands ahead of time, kind of build them up, and uh, or do you just kind of like do it on the fly, like with the spikes and kind of a branch and everything else? Or have you built them before? Yeah, personally, I end up doing actually a lot of uh, mountain spot and stock. So there isn't really much of an option when you're going, you know, five, 10 kilometers and up the side of a mountain to carry a tree stand with you and set it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My grandpa used to have a nice, uh, actually like a little dock into the dugout and he had a nice little um, blind set up year round. So just, you know, when the ducks came in and it's like ready to go all the time. Yeah. Um, I always hesitate because it creates controversy, but I will mention people do do truck hunting. You're not allowed to shoot from a vehicle, of course, but I mean, a lot of people just drive up and down, you know, crown land roads, grid roads, whatever, wherever they are. Cause I mean, grouse is a thing, you know, uh, but yeah. also just uh, don't, don't be afraid to, uh, if you, depending on where you live, sometimes stuff just comes up, either it comes into your backyard and you happen to be backing onto crown land or uh, some people use uh, or can use depends on where they are. I mean, they can use like a uh, staring, uh, traps of sorts uh, for small, small game, but there's def definitely yeah. different ways, but you're talking for a large game. Yeah. Spot and stock and, and tree stand seems to be the way to go. No, I'll, I'll preset up a nice or decent tree stand, keep it out of the elements or whatever, depending on the property. If I'm going on private land that we have access for, you know, we'll go there in the summer, take a few weekends and, you know, Hey, where do we want to hunt? Find a good spot, start clearing some brush, find a good tree get some lumber out there, put a tree stand and all that stuff. But if we're just going to go crown land, we'll either do a uh, spot and stock or, you know, those little pop-up lines that you find a spot that's, you know, 
kilometer from your car pretty flat. I'll bring a pop-up blind and set that up. Just depends, but yeah, you can go pretty crazy building a tree stand if you really want. It's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It seems to be more of an American thing, but I, uh, I've seen a lot of deer blinds where guys have like, you know, like almost like a cabin sized deer blind set up, you know, that's year round and it's, you know, 20 feet up or whatever. And it's almost like a 10 by 10 kind of mini cabin yeah. that they'll, they'll hunt deer from on like, you know, maybe not federal land per se, but like, you know, buddy's land that they've had set up for years or stuff. But I just don't see too much of that in Canada for deer. No, that's because they're good spots and you can't find them. Yeah. Um, so some, sometimes out, out, like especially in the the winter when we're we're snowmobiling and that you'll you'll see those those types like those buildings you said Ian where they they build it up and it's uh you're right it looks like a just a small little treehouse or something and um, you see a few of them around but not not very many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so when looking into hunting and kind of how it uh, devolves into the prepping world there's a couple key abilities that can be gained in practice from hunting um biggest one that i practice year round when i'm looking into hunting um is mapping compass use i will spend because it's probably hour and a half two hours trip for me to get to an area where i'm able to go hunting i will spend hours and hours and hours looking over all kinds of maps, um, everything from topographical views, satellite feeds, um, 3D terrain rendering, find the exact spots I want to hunt. That way, when I head up for my two-hour drive, I don't get there and then realize once I'm there that it's not a good place to go hunting. And then waste an entire weekend trip. Yeah, I got a lot of buddies that will go up like four or five, six times ahead of time just to uh, check out where they're going to go hunting and, you know, figure out the lay of the land and, and see if there's any trails in, in place or whatever. One guy I know actually used to sit in the lawn chair. He'd sit absolutely still for like an hour and, and start rattling antlers just to see what he could attract <laughs> or stuff like that. Or he'd start doing random calls. And uh, it was amazing. Like after, if he sit absolutely still for about 15 minutes, how the forest comes back alive once they get used to you. And, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Like just as far as uh, some of the skills you end up having to, to gain to do that properly. Yeah, it's become one of my favorite parts, just kind of looking at all the different terrain features. Um, and just from a satellite view, you can start to see or pick and choose what um, terrain features you're looking at and what you want to hunt. And then you can go into a topographic map, at least in my area, and you can start seeing, you know, key mountain features for where I'm hunting in particular. Um, stuff like um, crow's feet ridges and such. And they end up being really good places to hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, the other thing too is if you're going to be bringing, I guess, a hunting partner out, um, you could have to practice like uh, coordination with each other, like how you communicate mm -hmm. back and forth, whether it be with radios or uh, you know getting one guy to push the bush for you and like kind of drive drive wildlife towards you, um, or like making sure that you have a good comms in place to know the other guy's approaching and not sounding like a deer. <laughs> <laughs> you never know yet. Maybe resort to some of those survival skills, like first aid and everything else. But um, yeah. like I think Andrew said it a few times on other episodes that you know, if you've got guns and you're in the bush, you better have like a tourniquet and proper first aid kit with you because you're a long way from help, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also, stuff like a spot device or 
um, an inReach that you can use that doubles as a satellite communication and can direct link emergency responders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And if you are going to hunt in a spot that does have really good cell reception and not spotty, um, and something does happen, uh, what's the app? Uh, what, what three words? What three words? Yeah. Yeah. So that gives them a three by three first responders. So, I mean, instead of saying, you know, I'm due north of where I parked my vehicle and this is the rough area, uh, if you do have a spot that's very, very good reception and you know you're always going to have it, uh, having that app can probably uh, save a lot of people looking for you in a time that might, you know, time might be of the net of an essence. So when you're doing those, those uh, spotting, you know, kind of keep your phone easily accessible, make sure you have that or look into the spot options or all those other features that you have where, yeah, they're all satellite and you can send a quick message to first responders and friends and family if something happens. Well, yeah, and I, I like Darius was pointing out, you know, going out beforehand. I mean, you learn how to keep quiet in the bush, <laughs> especially if there's yeah. more than one of you. And uh, but also group coordination and uh, how to, to either just you know display leadership or take direction, uh, how to delegate tasks, whatever. Because like I I tell you, it is harder to find a good hunting partner than it is to find a good wife. Uh, so it is it is shocking. Like uh, you know, you'll feel you'll you notice that when people are out of their element or in a in a new environment, you'll see their true personality come out a lot of times, and it's a good way to vet people either for your mag for as a hunting partner or just as a friend or whatever, uh, by going hunting with them. Cause you can learn a lot about people, uh, going hunting with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so if once you're, they're good. Oh, I was like, if you're really lucky, your wife can also be your hunting partner. Then that's just the ideal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So once you're done with all of your, you know, map and compass use and trying to figure out exactly where you're going, that's when you get to the actual fun spot of getting boots on the ground. And that's when you can sit there and practice all of your stalking and tracking skills, reading trail signs and understanding kind of the wildlife movements and habits in the area where you're at, which in any major situation um, if there's a bug out or anything like that later on down the road, having those skills will be immensely useful, not just for tracking game, but also for avoiding people who are trying to find you later on. Yep. Or just trying to find resources, maybe not you per, per se, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, also, I guess with the, uh, the skills to be learned, I mean, uh, if you do end up being successful, processing meat is a skill, right? Uh, yes. and for people, people that never, yeah, for people that have never done it before, you might discover that they're quite squeamish or maybe not at all. It depends, right? Yeah. And knowing where to cut and where not to cut. Yeah. So that, that goes right into survival skills too, right? If you can process game efficiently, that's uh, it's a survival skill that may come in very handy if you're just not so much hunting, but trying to live on squirrel while you're waiting for help to come or whatever. Yeah. Although getting the back straps off a squirrel is very tough, I'm just saying. Like in the, in the just, tender just put it on a stick and cook it all at once. <laughs> <laughs> just put that on a stick. Don't try and quarter like quarter it up after it's cooked. I would just Trust throw me. the once you skin it and gut it. I would just take the whole damn thing and throw it in a bucket of water and or not a pot of water, anyways, and just get as much as I could out of it. So and then yeah. fall off the bone yeah. or something. But anyway, what can we talk about? Exactly. Um, and then 
another big thing is you learn very, very quickly when you're out hunting, if you were doing a multiple day hunt, exactly how you need to set up your camp in order to be safe and warm and comfortable. Because there's nothing worse than being out or setting up a camp and then finding out that, you know, there's a large body of water nearby and you're about to get soaked. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, as far as camp setup too, uh, gear testing comes into play, right? I mean, uh, it's a good way to find out if that you know that camp axe works like you uh, like as advertised or works well for you. Um, you're using the radio work to coordinate with your buddies. Uh, like you mentioned the reconnaissance skills. I think uh, a couple. Did you guys take the urban land nav course with uh, Ragnarok? Was it you, Jeff, or was it somebody else took that? No, I didn't. All right, because I mean, yeah, there's. As far as scouting the land and everything else, it comes into multiple skill sets. When you, uh, if you want to just check out something that's new or check out hunting lands or whatever, there's uh, there's lots of stuff to be learned there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, going into that with the um, where you mentioned with the axe and the hat, learning how to care for your gear when you're in the woods is completely different than figuring out how to um, take care of your gear when you're at home. Um, different methods of sharpening, depending on the tools that you have available for both axes and your knives, if you're using them to skin. Keeping a sharp knife is a lot harder when you're out in the woods than it is in your backyard. Well, especially when you don't have the, you don't have the 30 degree jig that does a perfect edge for you every time and <laughs> you just got a sharpening stone with you. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, having a quality tool that doesn't go dull the first time you use it is a bit of a plus too, right? Because yeah. nothing worse than getting the five dollar, you know, Cabela's knife that after like the third cut, it's needs to be sharpened and you're done. Like it's doesn't work nearly as well. Yeah. Yeah. In some in some scenarios, you know, you quality does come with a price tag. There are exceptions where I'm like, you find like a smoking deal where it's just like, yeah, I'll buy this all day, every day. But uh, depending on the gear itself, um, you know, there could be a price tag involved with it that you need to either come with terms or learn how to skin half an animal or, you know, a quarter of it and then take the time and learn how to resharpen your knife, you know, wipe it down sharpen it up back up and then keep going at it so i mean there's a trade-off there where you could say i'm going to save myself a hundred dollars and practice the skill while doing everything or you know say you know, buy that you know spend that extra hundred bucks and i know this knife will be good for at least three animals before i really need to worry about uh doing it unless i drop it on a rock or you know i keep nicking the bone every time i stick it in there so uh, understanding that there are you know cost trade-offs when you decide to go cheap compared to spending a little bit more, sometimes, you know, there is a big difference in quality. Sometimes not, but you know, something you need to figure out for yourself, what you want to spend the money in. Mm -hmm. I think the one last thing I want to mention too, as far as skills gained is uh, if you, if you aren't working out and you aren't in shape, you will certainly, I guess, learn the reason as to why you need to be in shape. Cause if you're trying to pull a deer out of the bush, even quartered up or whatever, you, discover that it's it's a workout yeah yeah and another uh thing for the knives in that as well if you decide to go down this route there's um a series of knives 
Um, and there's multiple different brands of them, but the one I'm most familiar with is the um, Havilon series, where they actually come with removable um, scalpel, like surgical style blades um, for all of the skinning process. And then you can use that and then um, just pop the blade off into a sharps container and grab a new blade um, whenever you're working with them. Yeah, I'm curious about those. Uh, have you tried them? Like, are they actually decent? Um, I've seen them and handled them a bunch. I haven't been able to skin game with them yet, but from what I've heard, they actually work very, very well. Um, you can yeah. get all kinds of different size blades, including, um, or bone saws that go, at or that attach to them. Yeah, that might be a, yeah, that might be an option as well. And I don't think it's that crazy expensive either, even for the replacement blades on those, if I remember. The yeah, I know, and you can pick them up in quite a few places now. I know, I believe Canadian Tire sells them. I know Cabela sells them. Um, there's a no, bunch of, you can get them on Amazon. Probably does. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're probably on Amazon too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather have something like that than, like, I've got a, for a fish filleting, I've got, like, a Cutco fish fillet knife, which is great, fine, and dandy, guaranteed for life, but if you have to sharpen it, you have to send it away, because it's got a special grind to it, so that's kind of useless for hunting, so don't ever go with Cutco. That, I'd much rather have something that's easily changed, uh, or change, you can change it out with the bush type of thing, so. Yeah. Yeah, and I like, uh, I like Pat's comment in there, um, if you're not comfy in camp, life sucks, yeah, if you're, uh, if you've been out and you gotten wet or it's a wet day or something like that and you go back to the camp and you don't have a way to dry out you don't have a way to get warmed up and you don't have a you know a good camp setup it's going to be a miserable couple of days yes yeah and there's only you know no matter how much jack daniels they have you still get, can be cold <laughs> it makes you give off heat more than that you feel warm but mm -hmm. yeah. uh, i actually had one guy that actually on a, on a hunting trip brought a cast iron waffle maker and talk about the hit of the show right there, like in order to make yourself feel better. Like, yeah, uh, he's breaking out the old thing, and we're making uh, waffles over the uh, over the fire. I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so, that's for sure. It's definitely a good morale booster. Um, and Denny mentions he always carries two sharpening stones, and then uh, Denny mentions a pocket jewel and a round stone for me. So, a pocket jewel, I think, is is that the stick that has the diamond coating on it? I think you kind of do it that way, or is that? Uh, I know the round stone, I have like a Lansky stone for axes and stuff that's round, but uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly a bunch of type of sharpening bits. Yeah. Um, where, where is it? Actually, another option is, which one is it? It's the Smith one. Uh, hopefully it doesn't block it out. It's the little yeah. handheld one. It's probably not the best, but could get you out of a jam. They're pretty cheap and easy to use because they're predetermined angles on it. I always have one of those in my kit as well as like a good stone, but this is just a quick fix that you can pretty much get anybody to sharpen a stone or sharpen a knife better than dull. It might not be the most efficient, but it does work okay. The biggest difference between that and the stones is that that will actually remove uh, metal from the blade, whereas the stones, um, for lack of a better term, roll over the metal back into a point. Yeah, and the, I think with the uh, the Smiths thing here, I, I have the same thing. I have a bunch of those as well. But the tendency is always to push too hard. And so you end up, yeah. like, he's, like uh, Darius has mentioned, just removing metal versus actually sharpening them up. But, but yeah, like like exactly what uh, uh, the yeah. Dallin guy says. I can't say his first name, but anyways. Uh, yeah, the carbon sharpeners, like, uh, the Smiths work well, but they wear blades out fast. So that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, 
that's all we mentioned there. I uh, yes, oh I mentioned drone flying. Like yeah, if you do have a drone, you can't use it during the hunt. That's that's definitely frowned on. No, not not unless your ancestors did it, right? That was a different story. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but for the average guy, uh, you can go and drone fly ahead of time on your, uh, you know, scoping out terrain well before hunting season. That's for sure. But uh, certainly, a no-no to use it the day of. But uh, yeah, it's a good practice doing that. And even if you want to see what's over that ridge uh, or over that hill or whatever, and maybe something's changed, it's a good way to scope the terrain ahead of time, and it might save you a bunch of walking if you want to know what something looks like up close. Yeah at least give you the option of is that you know two kilometer up that hill worth the hike send the drone up there and just be like nah that's really bad terrain that won't work for me i mean yeah it's exercise and it's it's good for you but i mean it can also save you a lot of precious time if you're looking for something yeah and the uh also like google earth can only show you so much too right so yep cool deal so moving on into a little bit more of the um, technical side of hunting, it's not just the uh, running through the woods. Um, a lot of people will sit there and if they've never gone hunting before and they don't understand the process, they'll say that, you know, hunting is just a sport where you're going out there to shoot an animal. And what they don't realize is that hunting is a method used by wildlife management agencies all over the world to increase the health of animal populations. Um, there's a direct correlation between the population numbers of a species and the level of illness and disease that affect that species. And they use um, tags for hunting and such, um, as well as the recorded number of bagged animals to help control those populations and to, um, over time, um, slowly develop the increased health of that species in that area. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, I would kind of think it's, I was going to say no different than kind of the population on earth is there's only so much food to go around. And once you have more people or quote animals, then the food source can substantiate. Yeah. They're going to start starving. They're going to get sick. They're going to get disease. And then you're going to be in even more problems. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, I guess the average non-hunter doesn't realize that the, the, I guess the amount of animals that are allowed to be taken in a given wildlife management unit doesn't stay static. It changes on a year to year basis based on like Darius mentioned, the health of the herd, uh, how many excess animals for the carrying capacity of the land. So if there is a chance, like if there's going to be food scarcity that fall, they might amp it up just to take care of animals that would otherwise die anyways and let the remaining animals have a higher food amount. And so they're actually end up healthier come springtime. Uh, so there actually is a, a fair amount of science that goes into it. And I think also the big thing is that 99% of the funding for most conservation programs like um, are actually funded by license fees. So the government doesn't pony up a whole lot of cash to, to manage wildlife herds, but hunter fees do. So it's uh, there's a lot to be said about that. Guys pay to conserve animals for the next generation, basically. Yeah. Exactly. And now, you know, some of the benefits for actual prepping when you're going hunting, and this is my favorite part of the entire uh, hunting season, is for the cost of tags and going on a hunting trip, you can, if you're doing any kind of big game hunting anyways, 
you can get hundreds of pounds of meat to completely fill up a freezer for you and anybody else in your mag if you run out of room. So if I were to get, say, an elk, depending on the size of that, I could get anywhere about 800 pounds in a single trip or more. And with the price of meat the way it is in stores right now, I'll spend the, you know, hundred bucks or whatever to go. Yeah. And then come back with that much meat. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. It's, it's uh, but you you're playing the odds too, right? Like for the people that come away skunked, I mean, obviously they're they're at a loss, but yeah, when you do win, you win big. Uh, I mean in certain cases, like for me when I was taking a ferry to go two ferries to go to an island to go hunt. And coming back, and by the time you throw in gas money and everything else, it probably would have way cheaper just to go to Costco and buy, you know, the air hammered cow. But um, by the same token, though, I guess, you know, for the people that are like environmentally conscious and stuff, is like when you think of what the animals are, if you want to attach all these hippie labels to it, it's organic, it's free range, antibiotic free, sustainably managed, ethically harvested, all that stuff. Uh, but it's, and it can be cheaper to just go to Costco and get it. By the same token, though, like you said, when you get a large animal, larger the better, obviously, like a moose or something, you're you're coming out way ahead of the game for the price of tags and even the gas and, and your time. It's uh, it's definitely worth it, but plus the skill set gained is, is huge, right? Yeah, exactly. What do you got, Pierre? All right, so we, we talked about big games, so I figured I would cover small game because with big game comes small game season. Um, so that'll cover pretty much rabbit, squirrel, grouse, partridge. Um, coyotes also open under your small game license, at least in Ontario. Um, and you can hunt those year round. Apparently it makes a wicked stew. Haven't tried it yet, but I'll, I'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, you know, some people will say, why would you want to hunt those types of predators? Um, coyotes follow food. Um, so if you've got coyotes, you know, staying around close to your house, um, your neighbors either have chickens that they can get or there's a fairly good population of small game, which is, you know, squirrels, rabbits, grouse, partridge. And when those coyotes disappear or leave, um, they've only left the really, really smart ones. So it can take, you know, three to five years for that, you know, small game population to come back. So if you want to kind of keep your small game around, uh, you know, hunting uh, the predators around may not be a bad thing. And then keep an eye on everything. Um, I love small game hunting. One of the big reasons is there's barely any prep work. Um, just find a good forest and go for a walk. Mm -hmm. um, so I always have a bag for me and Mel ready to go. Um, and it's just hanging up. We wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to go. Let's go small game hunting. We can be out the door in like three minutes, everything we need for the day. We don't tend to do big hunting trips for small game. Um, so they're nice to squeeze in those small little ones. Um, it keeps you out, everything. And I find a lot of people are easier to try and convince to try something when you make a stew with a few rabbits in it or some squirrel meat. Or, you know, make a, uh, get a few squirrels, few rabbits, and a few partridges, and then grind it all up and make yourself uh, a wild game meat pie. You know, a tortier, as the French would say. Um, and I like it because my daughter loves coming with us when we go hunting. 
but it's very hard to keep her quiet if you want to do big game. So, <laughs> right, she's she's turning 10 this year, so, you know, she's getting a little bit better, but it gets her out, and whether it be winter, you know, a nice day, the sun's out, you know, it gets her involved. Um, she enjoys, you know, the fact of, you know, going out and looking for animals. You know, she's short, a lot smaller than us, so she might be able to see under some trees. So it's nice to get the family involved, and it's easy to get someone to come with you to come hunting for the day. You know, hey, let's just go walk through the woods. You know, do you yeah. see any squirrels, rabbits? It's it's very different than big game. The big game, the big rush is there, right? Everybody wants that big buck and the bear or the elk or the moose or whatever. Um, small game hunting, I love doing. It's last minute. Um, just go for a walk, you know, look for, you, you start learning what specific animals enjoy. You know, if you're looking for rabbits, you know, look through the junipers, you know, that heavy brush area. Um, you start learning their routines and all that stuff. It, it, it can be a lot, uh, a lot easier and more cost effective to start off with small game. You know, the reward is a lot smaller in the amount of meat you get. Um, but the likelihood of success is probably a little bit higher. Oh, I'd say it's um, way higher. Get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Right. Yeah. yeah, but, but, but to get 800 pounds of rabbit, I mean, I don't even think you can possess that, that much. Like in Ontario, <laughs> no. I, right? You're well, allowed five a day. Right? Yeah. So you're allowed five a day with the possession of 15, I think it is, unless it's changed since I looked at the regs last year. Well, um, it also goes by region. I know where I'm at, yeah. any kind of rabbit, hare, badger, anything like that, um, year-round, no bag limits in a lot of the areas up here. Oh, so that's good. But, I mean, yeah. the odds of getting 20, 20 rabbits <laughs> a, a year, right, or whatever, right? So um, I, I put out our little, like, my normally go-to gear list. Um, hoping to get snowshoes this year. It's not. I haven't gotten that. Um, I've got a good bag. It's a Cabela's one. It's kind of like their heavy-duty fanny pack. It's got shoulder straps and waist straps. I put some water. Uh, snacks stay in there all the time. Little granola bars. Nothing crazy because uh, when I go small game, it's normally just for a few hours, maybe a whole day. Um, a skinning kit, some pair spare clothes and socks uh, in case I get a little wet. Um, a few small bags, depending... You know, if it's starting to rain or whatever, I can just, you know, throw the squirrels or rabbits or whatever in uh, bags and take it with me. Um, spare ammo. The bags always have 22 and shotgun ammo. Depending which gun you grab, you're always going to have ammo with you. Um, radio and batteries. Whether I'm, well, that's mostly if we go hunting me and uh, meld together because we'll just kind of just go our own separate ways and then eventually find each other. Um, knowledge of the area you're hunting, uh, where we go, there's a parking lot not far and it's kind of impossible to get lost because there's also a snowmobile trail and an ATV trail. So I'm like, it's fairly easy to figure out where we are. Um, but if you are going out in those areas, um, it's a good thing. And if you've got anybody interested in it, just get them to come for a walk with you one day and, you know, get people trying it out and, uh, you know, if you catch something, they can give you a hand or whatever. Um, that's by far the best is, you know, when someone else is there to enjoy the moment with you. Uh, my first deer that we caught, we caught it pretty late at night. There was a big buck 
in that area. So we dragged it back to the camp and we're in the middle of the field. It's like seven o'clock at night, night's going down. So, you know, we're going through the processing to hang it for the night. Daughter comes running over because she heard I got something and she's just holding on to that front leg while we're, we're skinning it. Right. And she's like, I'm helping out. And I was like, you're doing absolutely nothing. But it was like, at the same time, you're involved. You know, you're not trying to stick your hand where the knife is. And, you know, she was all up for that process. She was asking, what are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? And that. so, you know, try and get people involved. Like it's not for everybody, but um, we love doing it as a family. And uh, small game is definitely a lot easier to bring the whole family compared to, um, you know, trying to get her to sit down and be quiet while we're stalking something is uh, a little bit more complicated. Yeah, we turned it into a biology lesson for the kids too, and we were actually instead of like you know yep. making them squeamish or whatever, like you'd say, "What what part of the body do you think this is?" And they're like, "Oh, that's a liver." And you know, we talked about you know yep. various things, and actually instead of being something that's gross, they actually thought it was kind of fascinating more than anything else. But um, like you mentioned, like getting somebody convincing somebody to come for a walk in the afternoon is a hell of a lot easier than convincing somebody to go for like a three day marathon trek into the bush. Uh, yeah. where they don't know what's going on and, and you know, going to go stock a buck and everything else. It's a little overwhelming for some of you, but if you like, it's like a gateway drug. It's like you want to get them on for yeah. that afternoon walk first. Um, yeah. right. so, actually, I mean, go, go buy one of those cheap orange hats, kits that you buy at Cabela's or Canadian Tire or Sale or whatever hunting store, right? They're like five, ten bucks. Have two, three spares around. So if someone wants to come, even if they don't have orange, it's like here, you know, it, it's probably falling apart or it might break or whatever. Keeps them safe, keeps them compliant, even though technically they're not hunting because you can't hunt without all these things. But yeah, right. So easy to involve someone with that. Actually, I was being to mention these. So you talk about the coyote. So, I mean, outside of Canada, a lot of people eat dog, right? So it's not a, it's no. not a taboo thing outside of North America. And no. predator hunting is actually, it's becoming more and more popular. So like uh, Denis mentions here too, is that uh, bobcat and lynx are delicious. And Aaron stole my thunder here. He said uh, cougar's pretty good too. So like the four-legged, not the two-legged, I'm just saying. But the... Uh, <laughs> Depends yeah. where you meet her. D yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so cougar around here, I when I first heard it, I was kind of like, Ugh, like eating uh, apex predator that's yeah. kind of weird but I've heard, i haven't actually had the opportunity yet but i've heard it's like a lot like white pork meat and it's actually very very good uh yeah. consider that all they eat is deer so i mean like yeah i suppose it's gonna taste pretty good it's not like they're eating trash or yeah. anything and so yeah there's a lot to be said about considering apex predation uh of the apex predators you know because the uh not only does it keep the i guess the prey population a little higher but it's also taking care of the uh the I guess yep. the, the game scarcity for them too. So, yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. And they we offer I think two tags a year where I am for cougars. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's a it's a thing. It can be done. Yep. Yeah. And for people sure. eat cat like, outside uh, of North America too, right? Yeah. I mean, I I haven't shot one yet. I I did specifically buy a rifle that I was like, this is going to be my predator one. Um, haven't had the opportunity to shoot, you know, a coyote or anything with it. But uh, I will definitely take one out and, you know take part of it home and try it out that that's you know that's how i figured out the squirrel is actually delicious you know i was like well technically i have my license for this i didn't find any bunnies and we were almost done and i'm like well there's a squirrel so we shot one brought it home cooked it everybody liked it so now we go squirrel hunting right? i got one buddy that actually his first first hunting success was with a squirrel and he uh, he basically made curried squirrel and rice and he loved it 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like okay. Yeah, it's, it's heard good things about curried squirrel and rice and then uh squirrel tacos. There you go. Yeah, so I we actually uh we enjoy cooking, so we had made a nice spread, right? Like roasted potatoes. I think we had steak, chicken, everything. But we had also been small game hunting, so there's about like Right, because we can have, I think, like 30 squirrels in the house because we both have our small games. I think we had a mountain, like, I don't know, like 12, 15 squirrels that we had barbecued. And we had a bunch of people over. And I said, you can have whatever you want to eat. But I was like, you got to take a bite of a squirrel first. I mean, you don't have to like it or any, anything. But I was like, you're going to try it. And everybody <laughs> was kind of hesitant. But actually, everybody except for one person went for seconds on the squirrel. And they were nice. like, yeah, that's, that's actually pretty good, right? And I mean, like, a lot of people are like, oh, that's disgusting or whatever. I was like, but it's good to know what to do in case that's all the food that's around one day. Or, you know what, you're practicing a skill. You want to get a lot better at shooting. I was like, yeah, okay, go try and shoot a squirrel at 20 yards. Like, <laughs> those things move, man. Well, it's also going to teach you exactly what's, what, how much you want to have spices on hand and extra spices because you can make anything taste good, right? Like a skunk's yeah. ass, it would probably taste good if you threw enough, like, curry on it. So, I can just, yeah. Yeah. It's all so, the recipe. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, Pat and a bucket mentioned hot hands and hot feet heaters. So, yes, those are always in my, all my bags. Um, but yeah, specifically in my hunting bag, I normally have two sets of hand, two hands of feet, or two sets of feet. And then depending on the day, I'll have one in my pocket that I'll crack open when I get to the woods. Um, but that's normally, yeah, and always, and it's in all bags, not just hunting bags. It's not just for uh, storing rice and mylar either. The old not hands, right? There's actually those old, remember those old uh, charcoal ones that had the asbestos kind of like wrap around and it was like in a red metal container. You could throw them in your kidney, kidney pockets and stuff. Yeah. I, I was always a little bit leery having the open flame in my, in my jacket, but they actually worked really well. Yeah, actually I have one of those. I haven't tried them cause we haven't been out in the winter um, or it wasn't cold enough that I bothered with it, but uh, I got a Zippo one. You put Zippo mm -hmm. fuel in it and it's a, it's a big square thing and it's, yeah, it's a pocket heater to keep your hands warm. But I'm like, yeah, you got to light it and like put the lid back on and then like put it in your pocket. And I was just like, I don't know, man, there's something about that I don't trust. But <laughs> well, what I, think, I think you mentioned that in one of the uh, the yeah. earlier shows a couple, couple weeks ago or whatever. And I kind of thought the same thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure I want to be putting an open flame in my pocket. But yeah, no, but honestly, they've got awesome reviews. Yeah, and honestly, the like the ones I had were like literally a stick, a fuel, and so you just lit the kind of like a mosquito coil. You just kind of lit the tip of it and you, you threw it in this like it's literally got like fiberglass or asbestos anyways, whatever it is. And then it's like a wraparound red thing. And I used to throw them in, uh, there's actually specified kidney pockets in my Canada goose jacket. And so when I was yeah. working in the high Arctic there, it was like, we threw those things in there and it's like, all of a sudden life was good. And it could be minus yeah. 14 to be fine. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool, but yeah, a little bit unusual. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, who mentioned the, the bears thing? Yeah. So, um, I just figured I'd touch in on it when you guys were mentioning um, all the different predators and that. Yes, the predators can be uh, good to hunt down, but also just to be wary of them when you're out in the woods. I know where I am, it is prime bear country everywhere you go, so we have to be very careful about um, how we're storing everything. 
Um, otherwise, we may have some uh, unwanted company in the camp in the middle of the night in the form of a uh, very, very large bear. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, at, at, this, at this time of year, they're looking to eat and fatten up for the winter, right? So yeah. they're, they're, they're more active now than they would be, say, the middle of summer, but because they're, they're looking yeah. to get fattened up, so... Yeah, depends on where you leave yeah. your gut pile for one. Uh, but also, yeah. yeah, if you have too many smells going on around a camp and you don't have proper food storage techniques, it's um, yeah, it could be an issue. Yeah, it's a common joke around my uh, mag because I sleep. I have my full sleep set up as a hammock for when we're camping, rated down to below zero, and um, they're just constantly saying, "Well, it's a giant, you know, bear height burrito." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you, you'd be too difficult. They like the easy, easy stuff, so they'll just go for the uh, the deer that's hanging there versus somebody that's going to yeah. put up a struggle, right? So, yeah, so it's always uh, always good to put that uh, gut pile and hanging the deer maybe downwind of you. Well, uh, I would uh, even do take. Hopefully, you leave the duck, uh, the gut pile in the middle of the woods for the coyotes to take care of, like a couple miles from yeah. camp, because I'd rather just bring the uh, the the quartered out or the just the the pulled out carcass. Um, yeah, just less mess and fuss there. So. So some, some or if you go back to the same police. hunting area, or if you go back to the same hunting area over and over and over again, offer it to the corvid. Offer it to the what was that? Corvids, the um, crows and ravens and such. Oh, oh, so the oh. corvids. Oh, okay, sure gotcha. it's an old superstition or not, but apparently, if you go to the same area over and over again, and every time you offer um, some of the choicier. Uh, parts of the gut pile and such to the birds that they'll start actually finding animals for you. Hmm. It's worth a shot. Never had the opportunity to try it out, but yeah. Or maybe just sacrifice the least liked guy in your hunting party and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you got good hunting insurance on them. That's right. Well, have we got anything else or should we move on? Um, I think we're good. Nope. Yeah, I had something, but I forgot. And I think it was something I thought afterwards. So well, sorry. I well, guess it's I, not that important. No, all good. But I mean, honestly, if uh, all the listeners, if they want to have uh, share some hunting stories, I'd like to, love to hear them. I won't be able to do any hunting this year at all, pretty much. So I, uh, I want to live vicariously with everybody else. So if you, uh, if you're successful, let us know for sure. Yep. Anyway, uh, podcast challenge time. Yeah. So. Um, for anybody who hasn't already, podcast challenge is to find your province's hunter safety education course and take one of the courses. A lot of them are done online now, um, and they go over um, both the ethics and how to hunt safely. So in the show notes, we've thrown a link for each of the provinces and territories in Canada as well. So I'll nice. put those up in, uh, in the, well, I won't do it in the Discord, but Eric will. And then... Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure that everybody's got a copy. I'll, by the time tomorrow rolls around, it'll be on the YouTube uh, notes as well. And I'll see if it actually shows up on the StreamYard notes here in a second. But um, yeah, we'll make sure everybody's got a, a copy of where to find their their, their stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess moving on to upcoming events. I was trying to be equal and give something for Ham Radio 2, but unfortunately, no, there's no ham shows anywhere in Canada for uh, used to ham bits. Unfortunately, they've all finished up for the year. I guess the, the boomers are 
hibernating or something. But anyway, uh, so Perth Gun Show, October 29th is the only thing I could find that's upcoming here is uh, in Perth, Ontario, of course. And uh, the link is in, in the show notes as well. So you can get your, uh, hopefully your hunting rifle or maybe a, a bow or something at the Perth Gun Show. It's relatively close to Toronto. So hopefully most of the urban people can find their stuff. But and notes in there too. Anyway, uh, Jeff, you got a weather blurb for us? Sure. So um, the Atlantic hurricane, uh, there's really nothing to report there. It seems to have calmed itself down for now. We'll have to keep an eye on it. However, Hurricane Roslyn uh, has made landfall on the west coast of Mexico as a low cat four. Uh, I haven't heard yet of, of the extent of damage and uh, whether it's hit any of the the resort areas or anything like that. Um, the track of the storm could take the remnants of it being a post-tropical depression into uh, into Texas. Uh, main of, the main part of that just being some rain and some winds, but nothing of a severe nature. Uh, there is a potential midweek for a severe storm outbreak in the mid to southwest U.S. Um, people may, may recall last December... There was uh, a prolific tornado outbreak in the United States. Um, this storm coming up has the same dynamics, but the um, it, it's not going to be nearly as severe. Um, a lot of the, the the characteristics of that other storm are there. They're just not to the extent that it's going to be. I did put a link into uh, of a YouTube video of a fairly prolific uh, weather guy down there. Kind of breaks it down so just something to keep aware of if you're in the, the south to mid us it is going to help a little bit with the um the drought i mean again the problem being you know when you've got a drought to cure it you need long gentle rain not a fast and hard, large downpour all that does is lead to flash flooding so that's just something else to keep keep in mind of that's it. Cool. Well, at least not as crazy the last few weeks for weather anyway. But, uh, okay, so we had the deal of the week. Yeah, so I found uh, one of them. Um, it's actually at Cabela's right now. It's a 30% off on a outdoor edge uh, processing kit for knives. Um, it gives you a, it's a full hard plastic um, hunting game processing kit. Cool. How much is it on for? Um, double checking that right now to see what they reduced it. So it's usually um, $90. They have it on for 60 at the moment. And that comes with um, three different knives, a rib spreader, a bone saw, um, a spot for some gloves, and a knife sharpener. All in one kind of hard plastic handled kit. So not just for game handling, but also if you need to extract information from somebody is what you're saying? <laughs> well, we did not. We, there's no pliers in it for the fingernails. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope they can find those too, but yeah. But, but I mean, sorry, that's on your belt anyways, because you probably have a multi-tool. So that's right. No need. Sorry. Uh, apologies. <laughs> so uh, a knife sharpener I had for as well. Same flyer from Cabela's, I think. Uh, it's just a uh, work sharp precision adjustable knife sharpener. It's 27% off, and I think it was on for like 30 bucks. 
so if you want to keep those interrogation tools uh, sharp, uh, it's a good way to do it. Actually, it's, it's got like a little jig to give you the 30 degree angle or whatever angle you want and gives it a nice, uh, you know, consistent blade angle on everything. And it's, it's quite a like, nifty little setup. So yeah, it's, it's basically a third off as well. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, um, shoutouts. I only had one for myself, unless anybody's got one another one, but uh, I got one for Gavin for letting me tag along the last couple of days. So that's been, uh, that was fantastic of him. I'll be talking to him tomorrow on the next podcast. Anybody else got a shout? Nope. nope. Not yet. All right. Uh, email and iTunes reviews. So we got a uh, email back from Erin, and she says, Hi, CPP crew. Uh, thank you for the great tips as always. If I can offer some additions and um, it's in relation to our um, staying warm in the winter, no power kind of uh, podcast that we did. Uh, she says, uh, or he, I'm not sure which one. Uh, Costco sells lithium battery heated socks, which are awesome USB rechargeable. Uh, that's great. I'm going to be going to Costco and uh, looking that up. Um I do have a pair of electric socks that takes an old, I think a C or a D battery or something. And I, I'm frequently out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night in the winter. So uh, that's something I carry in my, my kit when I'm out there. So I'll certainly be looking at uh, getting something like that. Uh, makes mention of a tent to put up in the house. Uh, and it could help to keep the body heat in, uh, in control when you're sleeping or in active time if heating is hard to do. Yeah, I guess I can see that too, because I mean, not only is it like uh, preventing airflow across you to keep you from cooling down, but it's also like anything that your body heat puts out might get a little bit trapped in the tent. So that does make sense in the house, right? Yep. Yep. It's kind of, kind of like, and I, I think it may have been Pierre, I'm not sure that said, um, if you're in a room, you know, get some, get some plastic and put it around your windows and that to kind of try and yep. try and prevent the, the cold air from getting in and that. So it's kind of the same idea. Um, also mentions insulating silver bubble wrap for the hot water tank. Home Depot sells this. Um, sounds like they put it on the windows. It's a cheap and cheerful way to keep the heat in, uh, although it keeps uh, out the sunshine, so it's not ideal. Um, I would say it's ideal at night when once the, the sun's heated up the, the house or whatever, plop it on the windows at night. You don't need to worry about the sun, and it'll... Uh, It'll keep the heat in. And good for light discipline in bad times. Yes. Uh, I've got some wool single bed blankets at thrift stores to make winter curtains. Uh, again, keep the heat in. Uh, the thin plastic window insulators that I just mentioned, uh, talked about, they picked some cheap up at the restore in case of radiation fallout. Uh, I don't know how well they would work, but... I think if it's probably bust windows, is better than nothing. So, yeah, I think it was yeah, in at, case that, the, at that uh, point at the radiation fallout, like, are you really gonna survive? No, I'm, I'm thinking in case there's busted windows, it's just a good alternative to keep the uh, the breeze from blowing something in more than anything else. But maybe no. I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to look into it more. But I mean, again, it, it's always the thing that we say it's better something something's better than nothing. So, so with that one, it's actually referencing directly back to when we did our uh, nuclear fallout episode. Um, and what it's, or what it's um, referencing is that when you are sealing yourself into a room to just make a clean area, you put plastic sheeting up over the windows and then duct tape around it, and it stops any particulates from coming through the windows into the area that is already, or, um, ionized. 
Okay. Yep. Um, ceiling fans moving the correct winter direction will pull push the uh, hot air down. Um, I do that with my. I have a ceiling fan in my bedroom, so in the summer it um, kind of pushes the the moves the air around. But in the in the winter, obviously it specifically blows down, blows the warm air because everybody knows warm air rises, pushes the uh, the warm air down and um, does help a lot, believe it or not, with uh, keeping the room warm in the winter. Uh, in a first aid situation, we, we talked about this before the show. Um, if it, it says we always feed cold patients to keep their body heat up, whether it's tea or soup or a meal, um, food helps us as well. Again, um, I'm, I'm not a, a medical person. None of us are. We're not uh, obviously giving medical advice. Um, be careful when you're going to feed somebody uh, food, depending on the extent of what their injury is. I mean, if it's just the simple fact that they're they're cold, uh, I think that would be fine. But if you're looking at any, um, Darius, correct me if I'm wrong, that if, if they're, you're looking at any kind of an injury or potential that they may need some other kind of medical intervention, you really shouldn't be giving them food. Yeah, so with that, it's any time there is a potential for them to go into surgery because food can um, cause further complications in the surgery or can um, help to counteract medications that are provided. But yeah, like, like if, if, you're, if you're just cold, absolutely. Uh, give them something to warm them up. Uh, never, never hurts. Uh, so at the end, it, she says, uh, thanks again for sharing and all you do, Aaron. So thanks, Aaron, for your feedback. We appreciate it. Um, we've always said to people, we're, we're only as good as people who listen to us and give us feedback. We're, uh, we're not experts on anything. We just try to give you somewhere to go and direction to do. And so uh, we appreciate the feedback, and we'd like to get more. Cool. All right, guys. Well, with that, I guess I'll bring uh, episode 181 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. And we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we're going live. If anybody wants to reach me, you can contact me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, or I am frequently on the Discord, which Ian is not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can reach me at Off the Wall Customizing, uh, TikTok, Instagram, as well as the other CPP tomorrow night, which may get more political. Also, before I forget, um, something about can openers and make sure you got a CO2 detector when you go hunting. Even if it's just hunting well on done, CGN. Pierre. Well even, done. Even if it's just hunting on CGN, right? That, right. That, that, exactly. <laughs> so that, you know, hey, you didn't want to forget. <laughs> yeah, you notice I did not do a CGN deal this week. All right. Yeah. Well, that's because of Ontario. That's right. Uh, that's valid. Um, if anybody needs to reach out to me, uh, swing on over to the Discord app. I'm on there daily, all day, every day. Cool. Uh, anybody wants to reach Ian, you can uh, email me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. Thanks to politics. Uh, now that I shut down my PayPal account, you can find me on the Gilded app because <laughs> it's the only place I'm allowed. So and I won't get any fines for, for posting stuff there. So um, 
yeah, actually, I should probably restart my my gab thing too. A uh, at some point, but I was waiting for this this hazing ritual work to be done. Uh, but yeah, Gilded. I guess we're doing a backup server on there, so that's a new app for everybody to get. Anyway, uh, I think Canadian Patriot Podcast is on there for sure. Anyway, speaking of which, you can also find me Canadian Patriot Podcast, which is on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings at nine PM Eastern. YouTube and Facebook or at least YouTube anyway. Uh, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society makes you want to go in the woods. Well, for hunting, at least. Anyways, thanks for joining us. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs>